All right. So now we are on the third week of this gifts of the Holy Spirit question. And this question at the beginning, have some gifts ceased, will be what we talk about today. We had, um, let's see, this is not going to the next slide, Jason. I'm not sure what's going on here. Can you just push page down? Okay, well, I'll just say what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about today the question of have miraculous gifts ceased? In the early church, you read the book of Acts and you have people uh, miraculously healed in, in answer to prayer. You have uh, prophecies being given about you know, the famine that's going to be in Jerusalem or when Paul goes to Jerusalem, he'll, uh, you know, the, the, the Jews will bind him and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And, and there are uh, many other examples of prophets in the churches and in the New Testament epistles it talks about the gift of prophecy functioning in the churches and gift of healing functioning and the gift of speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. And there's a big difference over the question of whether we should expect these things to occur today in, uh, in, in churches. Or did some of these gifts cease, like about 100 A.D., when the New Testament was written? Were they just for that time? Were they just sort of just to get the New Testament established and get the church going and then don't expect any more miracles today? So the people who say these gifts ceased and we shouldn't expect any more miracles today are called cessationists. Cessationists. Okay? Not sensationalists, <laughs> but cessationists. And the people who think that these miraculous gifts continue today are called a lot of different things. <laughs> Um, kind of in the in the theological world, in the academic world, the uh, the the term that's kind of gotten more popular now is continuationists. Continuationists. Now, when I wrote the systematic theology book, that word wasn't even around. I don't know quite where it came from, but it seems like a good neutral word to classify all those people. Now, in that basket of continuationists are Pentecostals like the Assemblies of God or the Foursquare Church. Charismatics, like Pat Robertson and Charisma Magazine and many people in charismatic renewal movements in Lutheran, Episcopal, Methodist, even Roman Catholic and other, other denominations, independent uh, churches. So those are all con continuationists. And... Then there are just people in ordinary evangelical churches who say, looks to me like these things continue today, at least from reading the Bible. And then there was another movement a few years ago, uh, kind of led by men named John Wimber in Anaheim, California, called the Vineyard Movement. And uh, they are in that continuationist camp too. And then there are some people who aren't cessationists, they say, oh, I can't see from the Bible that these things he sees. And they're not continuationists. They say, well, I don't, I don't think we should expect all these things today. So what do you call them? Well, I call them open but cautious. And among open but cautious, there are very, very cautious, and there are middle cautious, and there are not very cautious. <laughs> so they're all over the map on this. Now... Um, my argument today is going to be that when I read the New Testament, it looks like it expects that all these gifts are going to continue until Christ returns. That's, that's, my, um, that's my viewpoint. Um, but I want to go through some arguments that people make saying, well, why should these gifts have ceased? Now, I'm kind of done with stalling because <laughs> what's happening with my uh, PowerPoint? Rebooting machine. Could I have one of those outlines? Does anybody have an extra one? <laughs> All right. So if you have a Bible, um, maybe we'll... You, let me see. On the outline... Oh, 
down at the bottom of page one, discovering and seeking spiritual gifts. What if many members in a church do not know what spiritual gifts God has given them? This is where we ended last week. Church leaders lead to ask if they're providing sufficient opportunities for gifts to be used. And, and my comment there was, in home group fellowships and small groups is where these gifts are most commonly, are, where many gifts are most commonly used because we get to minister to one another and care for one another in groups. Then individuals can begin by asking what the needs and opportunities for ministry. See, what, what does my church need? What does my home fellowship group need? What does my neighborhood need? What does my workplace need? And ask, well, maybe God is wanting you to meet that need. And pray for wisdom. And then try ministering in various areas. And then seeking additional gifts. Can, we didn't cover that last week, I don't think. Seeking additional gifts. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So he wants you to have all sorts of gifts. And we talked about many kinds last week. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Um, so then, brothers, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. We're back up. Okay, great. And 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Now, see if, here we go. Okay, so have some gifts cease. That'll be today instead of February 8th. And then, oh yeah, that's today, February 1st. And then spiritual gifts, specific gifts next week. And I think we'll talk about praying for healing next week and the gift of healing. Uh, and then specific gifts, I'll talk about the gift of prophecy. One week, and one, one week and one another for the next two weeks. And then we're done with that unit and get on to the issues of the, around the return of Christ. So that's where we're going. Okay. Uh, so... Okay, point, uh, before I get to that, can you push the B on the computer? Thanks. Seeking additional gifts, ask God for them. Paul says, he who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. 1 Corinthians 14, 13. That's right at the top of the back page, point B. Ask, it's fine to ask God for other spiritual gifts. Lord, grant me this gift or another one. Um, and then 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. But he says earnestly desire, so you can, you can ask God for them and desire them. Have right motives. The motive is to help the church, not to make yourself noteworthy or important or famous or anything else like that. It's to, it's to glorify God and to help others and to build up the church. And then seek opportunities to try the gift. And continue to have the, use the gifts that you have, the talents God has given you. Number eight, and this is now we can push the B again. Thank you. Gifts are tools for ministry. This is this is just the tail end of last week. Gifts are tools for ministry, and they're not necessarily related to Christian maturity. And we must not evaluate spiritual maturity on the basis of spiritual gifting. Samson. Samson didn't have spiritual maturity. He had all sorts of immorality in his life, but God just gifted him with all this power from the Spirit of God coming on him. Why? I don't, I don't quite understand why. But he was sleeping with a, a prostitute in Gaza. He was marrying a Philistine wife that he wasn't supposed to marry, and, and uh, there was all sorts of disobedience in his life, but, but the, his, um, his gifts still continue. And we know, sadly... There can be people with great uh, preaching gifts, for instance, and they have great churches, and then all of a sudden they fall into immorality or embezzlement or something, and they bring disgrace on the church. And then, of course, it gets in the headlines of the public newspaper and uh, brings reproach on, on the Christian church, and that's sad. Why is that? Why does God continue to give anointing to someone who's an evangelist or a pastor or there, there are people who have, uh, I, I think, um, well, there's one long time ago in the Chicago area, um, a famous healing evangelist who founded Zion, Illinois in about 1900. And I've forgotten his name. Alexander Dowie. And uh, he was preaching and all these people were being healed at his services and he'd take an offering. Oh, he got a lot of money. We bought 10,000 acres of land outside or in northern suburbs of Chicago and find it sounded Zion, Illinois, and it all laid out. It's got Bible names. It can still go there today. And it's, uh, it's got Bible names in all the churches, Rebecca Avenue and, and Peter Street and you know, all of these things. 
So, uh, but uh, after he'd been there a year or so, there were allegations of immorality and misuse of funds, and the elders of the city kicked him out of the city. He had a stroke and he was paralyzed and he died. Why? See, I, I, I don't, you know, I just, it, it, I don't know. But that's just a caution that people can be greatly gifted in some areas, but then, it, but then it's very dangerous if personal spiritual maturity doesn't accompany that. And so um, that's just a caution. We evaluate spiritual maturity on the basis of character qualities in people's life and through the spirit that we see. Um, so 1 Corinthians 3.1, Paul told the Corinthian church that had a lot of spiritual gifts. He said, I couldn't, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as, as infants in Christ, because they were bickering with each other and there were factions and all this. So they had a lot of gifts, but they didn't necessarily co- uh, go along with maturity. And then um, uh, Jesus, of course, can say, did we not prophesy? He says of people in the last day, didn't we? Do many mighty works in your name. And he says, I never knew you. So that, that is, uh, that, so we have to be careful. Yeah. And that was last week. Now, have some gifts ceased? The cessationist debate. About 15 years ago, I guess. No. Yeah. Yeah. About 15 years ago, Zondervan Publishers approached me and said, Wayne, would you like to edit a book on this question, Have Miraculous Gifts Ceased? Uh, Four views. So uh, I didn't say yes right away, but I said, well, if I do this, will you pay? Well, I, I, I could get four people to represent different viewpoints on this question, but if I do, will you pay for us to get together after we write our chapters, or after they write their chapters, get together and talk and see if we can talk things out? And they said, sure. So uh, the book that resulted was this, Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, Four Views. And, uh, and I was the editor, and you can't read that, uh, but, but here's the, here are the four contributors. Um, the cessationist position was represented by Richard Gaffin of Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. He was my friend. He was also my New Testament professor when I went to seminary at Westminster. And a very respected Pauline scholar. And uh, so he thinks that these gifts don't continue today. So he wrote a chapter on that. And then, open but cautious, Robert Sosi at Talbot Seminary. And uh, Dr. Sosi has also been my friend for many years. And he isn't quite convinced by Gaffin, but he said, oh, we have to be very, very careful about these things. And, and uh, so, he, so he was the open but cautious view, which is, I think, where the vast majority of evangelicals are today, in that kind of middle. We're not sure about this. We don't, can't say it ceased, but okay. And then... And then this, what, this vineyard movement was represented by Sam Storms, the third wave or vineyard, Sam Storms. And Sam, Sam graduated from Dallas Seminary. Yeah, and so did Bob Sosi graduate from Dallas Seminary. And then Sam got a Ph.D. working in, uh, in, in, uh, at the University of Texas, working in Jonathan Edwards' writings. And uh, then he was at the Kansas City Vineyard. He later went to teach at Wheaton, and he taught. It was a hugely popular theology teacher at Wheaton, and now is in uh, is a pastor. Uh, where's Sam now? Back in Oklahoma, I believe. So, um, so he was third wave, and he wrote a chapter on that. And then Pentecostal Charismatic, we had Doug Ose, and and Doug Ose was the Bible Department Chairman at Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. That's the flagship. College of the Assemblies of God. And, um, and, and Doug had a Ph.D. from Westminster Seminary and knew Dr. Gaffin. And so this is a Westminster graduate, and that's a Westminster graduate, and I'm a Westminster graduate, and Westminster holds a cessationist view, and then there's a Dallas graduate and a Dallas graduate. And then they had Ph.D.s from other places. So, hmm? Dallas holds a cessationist view, barely. It used to be very adamantly, but there's kind of been some loosening up just a tiny bit. 
So that's where, so everybody wrote their chapters, and then they critiqued each other's chapters. And then we got together in a conference room of a hotel room in Philadelphia, conference room of a hotel in Philadelphia at Zondervan's expense, and talked for two days. Nobody else present, just five of us. And it was, it was amazing. Five hours on healing, and four hours on the gift of prophecy, and three or four hours on the gift of tongues. Greek New Testament's open. I mean, Doug Ost in his 40s was probably the youngest in the group. Everybody taught for years. Everybody respected each other. And it was, it was just one of the most wonderful, exciting times in terms of just stimulating discussion that any of us, I think, had ever had. And we came out at the end um, um, unconvinced by... <laughs> But see, Zondervan needed four of you. So at the end, at 5 o'clock, Stan Gundry from Zondervan was going to meet us on the second day, and then they were going to take us out to dinner at a nice restaurant in Philadelphia. So um, he knocked on the door. We said, come in, come in, and we had planned a surprise for him. So, so he said, well, how would you do? And I said, well, Stan, we have a new title for your book. <laughs> oh? Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, One View. And he knew he couldn't sell books that way. So, <laughs> anyway, um, well, but he, he took it in good humor, and so that was fun. Um, at the end, at the end of the book, uh, um, uh, I say there were areas of agreement that we're committed to the truthfulness of the Bible. We have fellowship together in Christ. We all value experiencing a personal relationship with God. And there was some agreement on the fact that God does heal and work miracles today. All four would agree, and I would agree with that. And there was some agreement on the fact that the Holy Spirit guides us today. But, but Dr. Gaffin was very cautious about how much that's just through anything we perceive like emotionally or spiritually or subjectively. And, uh, and, uh, and the, the others were more open to that. And, and uh, there were some other, other agreement, but the areas of disagreement was the area of how much we should expect these things to happen today. That is, should we expect this, the book of Acts to be, our experience to be almost like it or hardly like it at all? And that was kind of a hard thing to pin down. And um, how much we should encourage Christians to seek and pray for miraculous things today in terms of healing and these other gifts. And then what we should call these things. There was some difference on that. And then, and then, and then the Pentecostal representative, Douglas, who's a wonderful, godly man, he held to a view that nobody else held. And that is that after you become a Christian you should be baptized in the Holy Spirit as a second experience, an, imp an empowering experience, and then you, people will speak in tongues at least once. That's a distinctive of the Pentecostal movement, and nobody else held to that, and he kind of defended it. It's part of their statement of faith, and we didn't spend a ton of time on that, but uh, he defended it from the narrative in Acts. And um, I talked about that way back at chapter 39, so I'm not going to go over that. That was maybe a year ago or so in this class. Um, and then, to what degree should we see the church life in the New Testament as a pattern to imitate today? See, and the, and the Pentecostal, Charismatic, and Third Wave will tend more to read the book of Acts and say, well, this is what the church should be like. And... And the cessationist and cautious, open but cautious will say, no, that's a long time ago. That's not for today. That's the tendency. It's not 100%. But to what extent it should be that way? But then I asked um, two questions. What is the deepest concern of Christians in this whole area of miraculous gifts? And I said, as I worked on the book over several months, what's the deepest concern of most Christians in this area? I don't think most Christians care deeply about whether the pastor wears a coat and tie or a sweater and a robe or a robe or whether the church has an Anglican liturgy or a Baptist order of service or charismatic spontaneity with tongues and prophecies. I don't think most Christians care deeply whether the church 
has music with an organ or a guitar. I think what people mostly want, really want, is to be in the presence of God. They want to have a deeper experience, personal experience of God, as they participate in church life week by week. They want times of prayer. They're not just 45 minutes of prayer requests and five minutes of prayer, and not just quickly praying through a long list of requests, but but times when they can pray long enough in an unhurried way so they not only talk to God, but hear his still small voice bearing witness to their hearts. And they want times of worship where, when they are singing, they are allowed to focus their attention on God for an extended time, where no one is interrupting them to tell them to greet their neighbor or sing loudly on the next verse or listen to the announcements or listen to the choir or fill out the registration card in the pew. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things, but, but, they, but if, they, if they don't interrupt every song, do you know what I mean? These things, of course, have a place, but they shift our focus from God alone to the people around us, and they interrupt our times of deep, deepest reverence in the worship of God alone. Christians instinctively long to be in an assembly of God's people where they can focus their attention on God long enough that their eyes and minds and hearts are aware of nothing but His presence where their voices are singing his praise and, or perhaps silent in his presence and where they are feel, free to feel the intensity of their love for him and to sense in their spirits that God is there delighting in the praises of his children. That is what Christians today really long for. They long to come to church and be allowed to worship and pray until they sense in their spirits that they are in the manifested presence of God. When churches have allowed people to have such extended times of prayer and worship, this longing of Christians has been fulfilled, and these churches have grown remarkably. No denomination, <clears throat> no viewpoint on spiritual gifts should have a monopoly on such times of worship and prayer. Cessationist churches and open but cautious churches and Pentecostal and charismatic and third wave churches can provide such times of prayer and worship with their own style and within guidelines that protect their doctrinal convictions regarding spiritual gifts. And then the second question is, could we minister together? That is, the five of us. In reflecting on all that has been written, <clears throat> I've wondered what would happen if by some unusual work of God's providence, the five of us somehow found ourselves together in a church where we were the only five elders and where we would agree to share the pulpit ministry equally among ourselves, would it work? Would we stay together or would we inevitably form five different churches? And then I wrote this and they signed off on it. I don't know what the other authors might say, but my answer is this. I think we would have to work hard to find some neutral vocabulary that we as elders could use to refer to certain experiences and phenomena. I think we'd have to work hard at allowing a variety of different kinds of home fellowship groups with different emphases and different styles and maybe different things happening. I think we'd have to spend regular hours in prayer and earnest discussion together to be sure the overall focus of the church was on Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. I think we'd have to work hard and letting the congregation know that we greatly appreciated each other's gifts and ministry. But after acknowledging these challenges, yet knowing these four men as I do, I really think it would work. I think we could live and minister and pray together and offer pastoral care to one another and to each other's families in no times of incredible depth of intercession together for the work of the church. And I think the Lord himself would take delight in it and would enjoy fellowshipping with us and blessing us and telling us Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. There the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So I just want to say that before I get into... Are you, are you okay with all that? Um, uh, before I get into these differences, which are real. But uh, um, anyway, that's where we went. Is that all right that I did that? I, I, the book is still in print, and people still tell me it's really a balanced discussion of this issue. I just warn you, if you get that book and start to read it, this chapter is really hard to read um, uh, because it uses some technical vocabulary that, that people say is tough. And I put it first 
to give uh, honor to the position that I agreed with probably the least. But, um, but it's, it's kind of been hard for people to get through that. At least people that have read it have said that. And so it's, it's good material, but don't get discouraged. All right, so now we go on. Here's the debate. Um, when, and, and, and Dr. Gaffin and I, we've debated this publicly and before Presbyterian presbyteries and things. So what I start out with is this verse. 1 Corinthians 13, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Why? For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So in part, in part, and partial, it's all the same term in Greek. And Paul says these partial things, such as knowing and prophesying in part, prophesying in part, these partial things will pass away. When is that? It's when the perfect comes. And all four of those writers agreed that when the perfect comes is when these will pass away. Now, when is that? Well, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. That's just an illustration from human life. But to prove his point, Paul gives that illustration. Then he says, for now... Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Then means when the perfect comes. Then I will see face to face. And if you trace that word, that phrase face to face in the Old Testament, it's five or six times and it always refers to seeing God face to face. So I think Paul meant we'll see God face to face. And then, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Then I shall know fully. Isn't that when Christ returns? So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So when I debate Dr. Gaffin on this, I say, well, look, Dr. Gaffin, it looks to me like Paul tells us when these things will cease. It's when the perfect comes, and that's when we see Christ, and when we know fully, it's it's when Christ returns. So we don't need to go on. The debate is over. It says here when they'll cease. Well, but he's a good New Testament professor, and he's thought about this a long time. So he has an answer. Oh, this is, I, this is what I told you. Oh, I, before I tell you his answer, I'll say, Paul puts the discussion of gifts in perspective. He argues that love lasts forever and prophecy is temporary. Okay. And so I think that this means when the Lord returns. I'm, I'm going to pass over that. Okay, here's Dr. Gaffin's objection. He says, no, 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 the passage doesn't specify when these gifts will cease. He says, the time of the cessation of prophecy in tongues is an open question as far as this passage is concerned. It will have to be decided on the basis of other passages and considerations. See, don't look at this verse. It doesn't answer the question. Look at some other verses. (laughs) Okay. I'm not being entirely unbiased, but I'm trying to represent, by quoting him anyway, represent him. Okay, my response, so my response is, it doesn't do justice to the clear wording or the logic of the passage. See, what he's doing, let me see. He's saying, when the perfect comes, by that time all these gifts will, will be finished. But maybe they ended before that. Okay? <clears throat> so, so, so Paul's point is not to say when this will happen. It'll just say it'll, be happen, it'll happen by that time. What's the chance of that will pass away? It's not will have passed away. Correct. It's just simple future. I, I could look. Yeah, I think so. Just a minute, Ben. Once I say that, then if it's on the tape, well, as I've said it to you, I want to be factually correct. Yeah. Will be made to cease. Um, it'd be hard. There is, a, there is a more elaborate construction in Greek. <clears throat> will have passed away. 
but but I think the better, I, I mean, you, I, I think I wouldn't argue it on the basis of the tense, but I would argue it on the basis of the word when. Um, because the when specifies. Okay? Um, in the future, might allow for broader form. Okay, that's just a Greek tense argument. But but anyway, he's saying um, before or when the perfect comes, these gifts will pass away. It doesn't say that. It says when the perfect comes. So that's so. So then his answer is well, let's look at some other verses. Well, my response is this doesn't do justice to the logic of the passage. Paul's argument is the coming of the perfect which does away with prophecy, tongues, and knowledge because there's something new, a far superior way of learning and knowing. Until that time, the new way has not come. And so the imperfect gifts are valid and useful. We prophesy in part, we know in part, and I think he uses these as just samples of all the gifts. <clears throat> so anyway, that's, I think that's a, that's a, it, those are the arguments back and forth. But, but there's another view, and that is uh, number two. It's not Dr. Gaffin's view, but it's a view that's, that's held, for instance, by my friend Robert Thomas, who teaches at Master's Seminary, John MacArthur's Seminary. <clears throat> and he says, when the perfect comes, well, when that doesn't, that doesn't refer to Christ's return. That refers to the Bible being completed. When the, the perfect Bible is done, when the New Testament is ended. So, and we, he and I have debated that publicly, too, at the ETS meeting. Um, the perfect refers to the completed revelatory process that resulted in Scripture, since it's the same category as the imperfect of prophecy and tongues and knowledge. And to see God face to face maybe doesn't mean to see God in heaven. It may just mean to see God plainly. Well, I, I've got a longer response here, but seeing God face to face in the Old Testament is personally seeing God. And then Paul says... We shall see, then I shall know. And it doesn't mean it'll happen for him once the other apostles finish their contribution to the New Testament. I mean, Paul is not saying, um, we, all of us, you, Corinth, me, once the New Testament is done, we shall see face to face. That, it just, it's very doubtful that that could mean when the New Testament is done. That, you know, by 90 AD, then... We, with that strong Old Testament background of seeing face to face, it doesn't seem persuasive to me. And um, uh, he's kind of assuming that prophecy has to be equal to the Bible, which I think is a different argument. Um, so I'll go back to the verse again. When the perfect comes, does that mean when the New Testament is completed, the partial will pass away, that these gifts will cease? Well, look at this. Now, faith, hope, love, abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul's whole argument is to say that love for one another is more important than any of these gifts. And using these gifts in love is more important. And to prove it, he's writing in the mid-50s A.D., to prove it, he's saying... Love is going to last more than 35 years to 90 A.D. Could that be what it... You see, these gifts are going to cease in 90 A.D., but love is going to last beyond that. That's a pretty weak argument. Say, the greatest of these is love. It's going to last 35 years. <laughs> but Because it's going to outlast these gifts, which are going to cease here when the apostles finish writing the New Testament. That doesn't seem persuasive. It looks to me like his, his vantage point is waiting for Christ's return. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When we see face to face, that I think that is the time of Christ's return. And that really is the majority view among commentators, uh, whether they agree about spiritual gifts or not. So now, here's another question. Then people say, well, wait a minute. If these things continue, you say, people can give prophecies today? Then that means we need more blank pages in the back of our Bible. And we've got to write down all these prophecies that are given in our home fellowship group and add to the book of Revelation, add more. See, that's the question. That is the deepest concern. And I think it's a real genuine concern on the part of people who are worried about 
these gifts continuing. And so uh, the question is, would the continuation of prophecy today challenge the, the sufficiency of Scripture? My response is, in the New Testament, if, if New Testament congregational prophecy was like Old Testament prophecy and New Testament apostolic words and authority, yes, the sufficiency of Scripture would be challenged. That is, if people were speaking with the authority of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Peter or Paul, yeah, then, of course, I, don't, I'm, I argued a long time ago when we had the stuff on the canon that that doesn't happen today. We're not adding any more words to the Bible. But <clears throat> when you look at what is actually happening among responsible leaders in charismatic and Pentecostal and third wave groups, they do not count this equal to Scripture. They do not. Um, so George Malone writing on those miraculous gifts. To my knowledge, no non-cessationist in the mainstream of Christianity claims that revelation today is equal to Scripture. And I'm going to give some reasons for that later. I think that it's a gift that has mistakes in it, but it, but it, result, it happens when God brings something to mind and people share uh, what God brings to mind kind of suddenly, and, it, and you see it's from the Lord. So it isn't equal to Scripture. Now, can you find examples of irresponsible, untrained lay people in some little church that really misuse these gifts? Of course. You can, but it isn't fair, I think, in criticizing a position to use the example of an untrained layperson who's not a responsible representative of the position. That's why I wanted to get established scholars in these different viewpoints to represent their position. Now, there is... There is, there's, I've read some of this anti-charismatic literature, and they, you know, they tell a story about the the, the woman in uh, southeastern United States who was frying a taco, and it looked like Jesus' picture, and she put it up on her wall, and they had the shrine to the holy taco. I mean, I, okay, but that's not a responsible leader. Doing, do you see what I? You understand what I'm saying? So yeah, you can get weird things, but uh, but but where there's under the guidance and leadership of responsible leaders, then that's what we should interact with. The question of guidance. Some people object, even if prophecy is not believed to be on a par, par with Scripture. If you think God can bring things to mind and guide you and lead you today, then you know what? It's going to function in competition with Scripture and giving guidance. And and I think it could happen. My response is, but I think if it's taught against by responsible leaders. So people say, well, you know, if someone thinks they have something from the Lord that, that, that's been brought to mind and they share it with you, well, test it and, and don't make it equal to the Bible because it could be a mistake. Uh, many in the charismatic movement are cautious about prophecy giving specific guidance. Now, I have seen examples of this being misused. I had a student 20, 15 years ago who was just on the verge of graduating from seminary. He was in... A, and he got, he got an agreement that he was going to be an assistant pastor <clears throat> in a church in the Chicago area. Excuse me. And uh, so he made plans. He wasn't looking at any other churches. And just like a month before he graduated, the pastor had a prophecy that they shouldn't hire him. And the church was short on money. <laughs> See, now, that's misuse of that gift. See, that, that's back, using it to back out of an agreement previously made. And I don't, I, don't, I don't endorse that. I don't think that's right. I think that was dishonoring the agreement. Um, but, but I think that people, responsible leaders where this is happening, say, no, we're not going to do that. And then I want to say to Dr. Gaffin, my friend, and to Dr. Sosi, my other friend, even in your very strict Presbyterian cessationist churches or Baptist cessationist churches, there is a willingness to admit some kind of continuing illumination by the Holy Spirit in believers' lives. In that respect, there doesn't seem to be a great difference between what they're saying and what many in the charismatic movement are doing. And I'm not going to name any names. I never would publicly or privately, but you would be surprised. How many people in responsible faculty or administration positions in cessationist seminaries have said to me privately, you know, Wayne, I think the Lord really brought something to mind and led me to this job. Or, you know, <laughs> so, uh, well, <laughs> fine, I won't tell. <laughs> I'm not saying that's happened often, but, there are, but, it, but it has happened. So, um, anyway... Prophecy is more of, of seeing.
something that the Lord wants you to do, not prophecy as being uh, just proclaiming the word of God? I don't think prophecy in the New Testament, I'm going to spend time on that in a couple weeks, is proclaiming the word of God. I think it's God suddenly brings something to mind. And I'll give you an example. We, were, we met with about um, uh, six couples that were close to us just before we moved here to Arizona. And we had dinner together. His friends had invited just it was six or ten couples. And I and, uh, um, can't remember. <laughs> and uh, after supper, we got around and they prayed for us, that the Lord would bless us here in our time in Arizona. And there was uh, a woman in the group, um, Susan, who at the end of the prayer time, she said something like this. Wayne, I think, because we had moved here because of Margaret's health, okay, because of the climate. And she, and she said, Wayne, I think the Lord just showed me that the move is going to be more for you than for Margaret. See, and, and that, she got that impression when we were praying, and she, she didn't say, thus says the Lord, this is for you. <laughs> okay, she just said, Wayne, I think the Lord showed me that. And that was an example of how I, and that encouraged my heart. So, oh, I didn't know. As it turned out, it's just, it's been a wonderful place for me to teach at Phoenix Seminary. And I have a wonderful Sunday school class and a wonderful church. And so it's been a blessing for Margaret and me both. And that was kind of an encouragement from the Lord. Um, so that's what I, where people are willing to say and maybe have some sense, spiritual sensitivity of knowing when something's from the Lord. Maybe some of you have had that happen in your own life where, at a time, Ev, you're saying, I mean, I won't call on you, but um, if you want to, go ahead. But we're in a time of prayer or maybe in church. The Lord brings something to mind and, and it's for you. But, but if it's for you, I guess I wouldn't call it prophecy. But if it's something you want to share with Mike, and, and that'll happen in a small group. And I think that's probably what Paul means by the gift of prophecy. So the name is maybe not as familiar, but we talk about the Lord bringing something to mind. Daryl! Dozens of times would say something from the pulpit, like like the Lord directed me in this or showed me in this, and uh, you know. I, so that's the kind of thing I think is happening. And I think that the, the the more cessationist people tend to be very cautious about that, but it happens. Okay. Um, and so, oh, Michael Harper is a is a, uh, a continuationist leader in England and a scholar or a leader. Prophecies which tell other people what they are to do are to be regarded with great suspicion. And Richard Gaffin says, well, what you people call prophecy is a spirit-worked application of Scripture, a more or less sudden grasp of the bearing that biblical teaching has on a particular situation or problem. All Christians need to be open to these more spontaneous workings of the Spirit. Oh, good. So, I mean, there, he's, using, he's not using the word prophecy. He's not saying God brought these words to mind, but he's saying all of a sudden the Spirit gives you illumination or understanding of a situation in your life. Well, I can live with that. The, you see, I would call it something different, but it's, it's very similar. So then it kind of boils down to how cautious are we about it. So, no, you can read this. Miracles have other purposes for miracles. Did, it, did these gifts cease in the early, early church? No, I don't think so. You can read that. Are miraculous gifts today the same as in Scripture? They're similar. Is it dangerous? Oh, all I want to say about this is, if you don't like something, just say it's dangerous. <laughs> like driving. Or airplanes. Or coffee. I don't know. You, you, that's an all-purpose general but I don't think it's really a, a substantial argument if, if there aren't mistakes built in and, and ignored by responsible leaders. And then these groups need each other um, because charismatics tend to have more practical experience in the use of these gifts. And Reformed and dispensational groups tend to have stronger emphasis on deep understanding of Christian doctrine. And uh, we could learn much from each other. Let's push the B on the computer so I can get a little of time for interaction here, six or seven minutes, five minutes anyway. And then I'll call that being done with that lesson. Bye. Okay, so now we, oh, I've got a whole bunch of them. Right there is the first hand I saw and the second one here. What's your name again? Felix, yes, and the microphone is not on. Trajectory. Go ahead. With uh, trajectory theology and some of the things coming out uh, of some denominations these days. Okay. You know that uh, something called trajectory hermeneutics or the, the Old Testament had a certain bit of truth, the New Testament improved on it, but we need to move beyond the New Testament. 
I don't think it's connected to that. That was actually that, at least as far as I know, that's more connected to some other issues having to do with the role of women in the church, frankly. And so um, I, these arguments between cessationists and continuationists really predate that trajectory hermeneutic question. So let's see over here. E.G. had a comment or a question. A couple of weeks ago, you had a list on the board of the 22 gifts, Yep. my recollection. Yep. T- today, you start out and up at the top was do miraculous right. gifts yep. uh, cease. Yep. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the difference between gifts that we say there are and what's considered miraculous gifts? Yes. Um, miraculous gifts, it's just a, a term I use to collect gifts that seem more surprising and make people say, wow, God is really at work here in an unusual way, arouse people's surprise. So when somebody's spontaneously healed, I would say that's a miraculous gift. When somebody's helped by a Sunday school lesson or a sermon, I wouldn't say that's miraculous. That's just, that's the, I mean, there's the Holy Spirit's working. but So it has to be an unusual working that arouses people's surprise and delight that God is present. So, Well, prophecy, healing, tongues, interpretation, casting out demons. Probably those are the ones that people talk about. And those are the ones we focused on in the book because they're controversial. I should say one other thing. Cessationists at Dallas Seminary and Talbot and Masters will call these sign gifts because they were a sign of new, new revelation being given. I don't think that category exists in the New Testament. That's just a made-up... I think it's a made-up category. I've written about that. So, uh, but I... By calling them sign gifts, they assume the conclusion of their argument, that they were just to give a sign to new Bible, new Bible being written, new scripture being written. So, I don't use that term. So, Vince, and then Mike. Yeah, the question that I have is, uh, that bothers me a little bit, is like the heavyweights in, in these movements. I mean, they get way out there, and they're proved to be just, they're not true. I mean, if you take a guy like Isaiah, the prophet, he said there's not going to be one arrow that's going to go over that wall. And there's 185,000 of Sennacherib's army. You think one trigger-happy guy would be sending an arrow over it, and Isaiah would have been taken out in stone because he was a true prophet. But today, they say, God told me that such and such was going to be a president. All the homosexuals in 92 are going to be off the face of the earth. I mean, and these are established leaders in these movements. Well, so I think it's hard for us to... Are they established leaders or are they people with big television ministries? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, um, honestly, Vince, I, I interact more with people in the academic world and I don't... I, I honestly just don't watch those people on TV. So I'm, I'm not... I'm kind of operating without too much knowledge, and I'm really reluctant publicly to name names and criticize ministries. But Chris, if people predict things and they're wrong, then they should have said, I think the Lord is showing me that this will happen, but I might be wrong, or something like that. Then, okay, I think that's all right if people want to say that, but then you decide whether you want to listen or not. Um, So my friend said, I think this move is going to be more for you than for Margaret, Wayne. So... Okay, and, but she wasn't saying she knew that was true. She just had a sense that the Lord is showing her that. It turned out to be true, but it encouraged me. So, what? Yeah, please, um, if you've watched TV and seen really strange and weird things, I'm not talking about that. I'm trying not to. I'm trying to just say what I see in the New Testament. Okay, that, I'm glad you raised that, Vince. Okay, Mike. No, here it is. Just uh, maybe for more clarification, um, the term sign gifts uh, are all four categories accepting the fundamental basis that God still works miracles today. Um, For example, I'm thinking of James 
you know, if someone is sick, call yes. upon the elders. Yes. If today a yes. church followed that yep. and called upon the elders, the elders anointed the person, prayed over the yep. person, there was a miracle. You know, I'll yep. share my view. I, I believe there can be a miraculous healing. That's, yep. that's my, my view. Yep. Uh, I don't know of a cessationist believes that. And then the question comes down to, is that then viewed as a gift that the elders yep. had, or that is that viewed as something different, you know, akin to what Paul was attributed to have had when those that were sick came to him? And yes, hands good, on good, good. Two things. They would say that God does heal miraculously sometimes today, but probably not very often. I mean, the, I don't know if they'd verbally say, but probably not very often, but that's kind of the, the expectation. But they would say, even if that happens, nobody has the gift like they had in the early church where it was happening often. And they would say, well, people could heal at will. No, 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 no. Paul didn't even heal at will because he left Timothy. He left Epaphroditus was ill, looked like he didn't get healed. Trophimus, he left ill at Miletus. So, no, nobody could. And even Jesus didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So, uh, so I don't think it's could heal at will. But they would say, yes, it's not the gift, but... It happens occasionally. It happens from time to time. That was the area which we could agree most, that people can pray for healing and, and hope that God will heal. Yeah. Well, oh, it's 10.58. What am I going to do? But here's the good news. Um, I'll talk about healing and prophecy, which are the ones that are kind of how did this work kind of question in the next two weeks and try to give more practical examples of how we would approach that. Today, I just wanted to give that overview. Are you okay with that? Let's pray. Our Lord, we we give you thanks for your goodness to us, for the power of the Holy Spirit to change us and make us new creatures in Christ, to cleanse us from sins, to give us a new heart, to impart to us the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to give us increasing likeness to you, to increase our faith, to answer our prayers, to work in our lives in many wonderful ways. Lord, we want our hearts and we want our convictions to be right in this area too. We want to be faithful to your word. We've seen probably many of us mistakes, maybe on both sides, maybe going to excess, or maybe just having very little faith. And so, Lord, during this week, um, work in us, guide us as we pray, walk with us, help us to be sensitive to you and responsive to you, and guide our thinking on these things as well. Help us to just follow your word and conform to it in every way and be faithful to it, not dishonor it, not dishonor you so that your church might be built up and so that you would be glorified. Amen. And I didn't pray for the Cardinals to win. You can pray how you want. <laughs> See you next week. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for the Cardinals to win. I'm just saying I, just saying I didn't. All right. <laughs>